This is Magic Wonder the Genie subbing for Abu Ben Bad. You're listening to Ira Harman's Pop Machine, and I'm just as bad as he ever was. This is WHPK 88.5 FM, Chicago. Keep listening, or I might put a spell on you. Do you know a veteran in need? Nation's Finest, through the VA's Supportive Services for Veteran Families program, helps veterans and their families struggling with rent, employment, and other housing-related costs. Today, Nation's Finest operates more than 30 locations in California, Arizona, and Nevada, helping thousands of veterans every year. Visit nationsfinest.org or call 1-833-468-9676. That's 1-833-468-9676. Everyone has a community, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use, community members can be your eyes and ears when you're not with your kids and alert you to signs of potential problems. Learn more at talktheyhearyou.samsa.gov. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. In this startling film, you will see dopesters lure children to destruction. We're going over to Joe's place. Why don't you come along? We have a date to play a set of doubles. Oh, you can play any time. Come on, we'll have some laughs. Can I go along with you? Sure. Hey, I'll see you at dinner, sis. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill, who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid, Smoking the soul-destroying reefer, they find a moment's pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, murder, suicide. And the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. important film now before it is too late Carolina? I believe you know the Reaper Man. Did you ever meet the funny Reaper Man? You never met the funny Reaper Man? 
And yet you say you walk the ocean any time you take a notion. Yeah, I believe you've seen the Reaper Man. Things are moving kind of slow. 
Everybody's nerves were getting jumpy, you know, people thought of frivolous like that. All at once the room was still, men forgot all about the bill. Who should enter but the man from Harlem? Why, look at that cat. Come in here, he's growling. Listen to him growling. It's not for mess, ain't it? Oh, you mugging, Sancho, you mugging. Mugging, so help me. Oh, I'm going to tell you more about it, tell you more about it. Everybody rolled their eyes. Women started heaving sighs. Someone hollered, music, lights, and gin. Come on, let's get out here. Yeah. Everybody cleared a space. They had big, broad smiles on every face. How they all love to see the man from Harlem. Harlem! Oh, when he started into step, he filled everyone with plenty pep. He'd twist and squirm, it just was a dirty shame. Everyone was in a daze. Women watched him with amaze. Each one said she'd have the man from Harlem. Can you blame him? Can you blame kind of low. Another cat walked up and said to the man in Harlem, go over there and see what's the matter with them girls there. He said, I'm kind of low. He said, I got just what you need. Come on, sister, light up one of these weeds and get high and forget about everything. Come on, Sancho.
In the good times roll, let the pleasure pop. Now let's take a stroll. Light up, let's all get mellow. Light up, get smoke in your eyes. Light up, get hip, I say, fella. Light up, say, what is this job? Light up, let's all get ready. Light up, I know how you feel. Light up, now don't be afraid. You'll find what I mean in any old field. Pop. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven.
world seems light and I'm so right, Jack. I'm Melville. I'm gonna put my nickel in a slot machine and play my solid cinder. I'm gonna squirt Peck and Susie Q. Cause I'm on a bender. I'm so high and so dry. I'm sailing in the sky. I got my ropes around and I can't come down, Jack. I'm Melville.
known a million, had known it every day. Can't make no money giving you. Stop away, why don't you do now? Like a million eyes. Put yourself on the market and make a million too. Betting woman, she bets on every hand. She's a trickin' mother for you every. Why she lying? Why don't you do now? Like the million idea. Put your stuff on the market and make a million too.
Because he called Cause all the dive is gone. <laughs> 
Jive gone. Jive gone. Jive gone. Jive gone. Ran to go to Mexico.
They call it wacky dust. It's from a hot cornet. It gives your feet a feeling so breezy, and oh, it's so easy to get. They call it wacky dust. It brings a dancing jazz. And when it starts, then only a sapple refused to big apple or shag. a buzz in your heart you'll do a marathon you'll want to go on kicking the steel in the pot they call it wacky dust it's something you can't trust and in the end the rhythm will stop when it does and you'll drop from happy wacky And she always kept an extra can on hand. 
just in case the cheat run low. She never, never been so happy since she left old Ireland. Till someone prowl her pantry, sure and tampered with her can. Wham! Who put the fence of dream in Mrs. Murphy's old team? Sure was a shame to lose to blame, cause the old lady didn't even get his name. Where did she get that stuff? Now she just can't get enough. It might have been the man who wasn't fair. Now Jack, that guy's a square. She stays up nights making all around. They say she lost about 69 pounds. Now Mr. Murphy claims she's getting awful thin. And all she says is give me some skin. Mop, who put the benzene in Mrs. Murphy's old team? Now she wants to swing the highland fling. She says the benzene's a thing that makes her spring. Ah, spring it now, give it. About Minnie Vimucha and about Smokey Joe. Well, gather round me while I tell you about a boy you should know. Folks all call him Jerry the Junker down in Chinatown. He's deep, dumb, blind, and lame, but still he keeps the gong around. Oh, Jerry the Junker. Jerry the Junker. Raggedy clothes and torn shoes. How that boy can sing the blues. Everything just seems to ooze from Jerry the Junker. From Jerry the Junker. Found him guilty and sentenced him to die. He faced the crowd, laughed out loud and spit in the judge's eye. They strapped him to the electric chair. It was time for him to die. Ten thousand votes shot through him, but the boy didn't bat his eyes. Jerry the Junker. Jerry the Junker. Raggedy clothes, torn shoes. How that boy can yodel the blues. Everything just seems to ooze from Jerry the Junker. From Jerry the Till they heard the warden cry, hey, what's the use? Shut off that juice. My electric bill's too high. For days and days, a thousand ways, they tried to bump him off. Till one cold day he passed away. He died from the hoop and call. Oh, Jerry the Junker. Jerry the Junker. Jerry the Junker. Raggedy clothes and old torn shoes. How that boy can yodel the blues. 
How everything seems to ooze from Jerry the Joker. From Jerry the Joker. In the rags and the bones in the bottles today. Hey, cat. It's four o'clock in the morning. I just left the Viz Studios. Here we are in Harlem. Everybody's here but the police, and they'll be here any minute. It's high time, so catch the song. Here it is. Sad dreams about a reef of five feet long. A mighty mess, but not too strong. You'll be high, but not for long. If you're a viper. I'm the king of everything. I got to go, got to go, got to go, got to be high before I swing. Let the bells ring, ding, dong, ding. If you're a viper. Say you know you're high when your throat gets dry. Mmm, everything's dandy. Oh, yes, you run down to the candy store. Bust your conk on peppermint candy. Then you know your little brown body scent. You don't give a darn if you don't pay rent. Cause the sky is high. So am I, yes, yes. Yes, I vibe a bit, but I'm gonna vibe a bit on the 88 now. Oh, stop it, darling. I didn't know you cared. That's enough now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me dream now. That's a killer. Yes, baby. Better next out on the sidelines that my wife's in here tonight. She don't vibe either. <laughs> you know, get away. Are you kidding? Oh, dear. <laughs> Say, you know you're high. Yes, I know I'm high. Cause everything is fine and dandy. Yes, gone down to the candy store. Get me Wrigley's awesome peppermint candy. I love it, I love it, I love it. Yes, baby, but my body's thin. I ain't worried about no rent. Get away from me, you hussy. Yeah. I'm tired, so I'm tired. I'm all laid out and relaxed. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Bye-bye.
Have you ever heard about Willie the Weeper? Had a job as a chimney sweeper. He had the dope habit and he had it bad. Listen while I tell you about a dream he had. Oh, oh. He went down to the dope shop one Saturday night. He knew the lights would all be burning bright. Well, I guess he smoked a dozen pills or more. When he woke up, he was on a foreign shore. Oh, oh, the queen of Sheba was the first he met. She called him lovey-dovey and honey-pet. She gave him a great big automobile with a diamond headlight and a golden wheel. Honolulu Willie fell in a trance Seeing the dusky beauties do the hula dance His sweetie got in jail and Willie sure did shout When he got the news that she had wiggled out Oh, oh He landed with a splash in the river now Riding on a seagoing crocodile he winked at Cleopatra, she said, ain't he a sight? He said, about a date for next Saturday night. Oh, oh, he had a million cattle and he had a million sheep. Had a million vessels on the ocean deep. Had a million dollars all in nickels and dimes. Well, he knew because he counted it a thousand times. Landed in New York one evening late. He asked his sugar for an after date. Started to kiss her and she started to pout. When bang, bang, and the door gave You're tuned in to WHPK Radio, 88.5 FM on the dial, here in Chicago. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section, when Dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL. Opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them, just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country, and tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets, anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. I am Fidel Nshombo. I was born in a city called the Bukavu in the Congo. We were a loving family, and then 
boom. Everything that I had disappeared in a single day. People think that when you are a refugee and they resettle you to America and all your problems are done. They don't understand that that's the beginning of everything. I was not born a refugee. I was made one. It's time we welcome refugee families with open arms. Learn more at embracerefugees.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Magic Wonder speaking. As if you couldn't tell, don't let an evil spell stop you from listening to The Pop Machine. Just go to thepopmachine.net and there you will find Ira and Abu with all The Pop Machine shows past and present with a few surprises. Remember, thepopmachine.net will get you through times of no radio better than the radio will get you through times of no pop machine. Think about it. America's insane, man. Got cops shooting us, man. You know, we got cop problems. Got the gun problems. This ain't going nowhere, okay? It's like gun control. There ain't never gonna be no gun control, okay? You, you talk about it too long and you will get shot. They will shoot your ass, okay? <laughs> That's right. They never, ever changing the gun laws because Americans need the right to hunt. They need to hunt. It's like, really? <laughs> Hunting's that important? I mean, I've been hunting. I've been hunting. I used to hunt with my grandfather as a kid in South Carolina. When I hunt with my grandfather, uh, I shot a rabbit. <laughs> I cried. He called me a faggot. <laughs> and he's a preacher. <laughs> they will shoot a hundred people in Vegas, okay? And somebody will come on TV, you know, and they'll just talk like, hey, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. As a matter of fact, if the gunman would have had a knife, he could have stabbed a hundred people to death. Could have stabbed a hundred people? Yo, check this out, check this out. If a hundred people ever got stabbed at the same time, in the same place by the same person, you know what that would mean? 97 people deserve to die. <laughs> what, you just watching it? <laughs> oh, somebody got stabbed. Ooh, they stabbed somebody else. Ooh, he stabbed somebody else. Ooh, he getting closer. Ooh, he stabbed me. I didn't see that coming. Oh, he stabbed a lady behind me. He's a stabbing fool. Yes, that's why they call him stabbing. Yo, it is so good to be here right now. I'm glad to be back. I hear the word that. I've, I've been so busy, man. I've been busy. People are like, where you been? I've been busy, man. Just trying to raise some kids. That's a job. 
Now, my oldest daughter just started high school. Just started high school. Lola just started high school. And I, yep, kept her off the pole. And, uh... <laughs> kept her off the pole, you know. She danced a little too hard to Migos, but we working on it, you know? <laughs> she just started high school and I had to take her to a freshman orientation. You ever go to freshman orientation? It's the most boring thing you will ever do with your kids. You know, because you sit in an auditorium, quite like this, with you know, a couple thousand kids, and you, people come up and you speak and just lie to children. <laughs> That's all that happens all day, is people come up and lie to children about the future. And I'm sitting there, and this lady comes up and goes, I want you children to know you can be anything you want to be. You can be absolutely anything you want to be. I'm like, lady, why are you lying to these children? Maybe four of them could be anything they want to be. But the other 2,000 better learn how to weld. I'm looking at these kids right now. I count at least 60 Uber drivers. They could be anything they want to be. Really, they could be anything they want to be? Then how come you're a vice principal? Was that the dream? Did you dress up like a vice principal when you was a kid? Put your little vice principal hat on? Tell the kids the truth. Tell the kids the truth. Say, hey kids, check this out. Check this out. You could be anything you're good at as long as they're hiring. And even then it helps to know somebody. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, I'm in, I'm in school and I'm watching it, and it dawned on me that I, this orientation wasn't right. You know, I'm sitting, because I got black kids, man. You know, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't think this is right. I think they need separate orientations. <laughs> I think they need a black orientation, white, gay, straight, whatever. Because the black kids, you, you're, in, you're, you're in, you know, you get, you get ready to face a whole nother world. I got black kids, I got to get them ready for the white man. I got to get them ready for America, man. You know, that's right, you know. I mean, not the white man that's here tonight. You guys are all right. <laughs> Y'all cool, every one of you. I want you to know every dime you spent tonight is going towards putting little black girls through private school. <laughs> Anybody ask you what you did tonight, you go, I made a difference. <laughs> but so I'm at school and I'm like, yo, I think we need separate orientations. Because you got to get your kids ready for the white man. I've been getting my kids ready for the white man since they was born, okay? But even before they was born, I've been preparing them for the white man. So ever since my kids were born, I've been getting them ready for the white man. So everything in my house that's the color white is either hot, heavy, or sharp. <laughs> so 
But my kids know when they deal with anything white, they gotta think about that. <laughs> they gotta contemplate this. Ooh, this napkin, okay. Should I wipe my mouth with it? Or is that what Whitey wants me to do? <laughs> ever, since I, ever since I was born, everything in my house, hot, heavy, or sharp. They sit on a white toilet seat, burn their ass. <laughs> Daddy, my ass is burning. It's white. That's what Whitey do. He burn your ass. <laughs> Pay attention. <laughs> Shit, when they was little girls, their white onesie weighed 150 pounds. <laughs> Daddy! Daddy! It's so heavy! It's so heavy! It hurts! I can't even stand! I can't even stand! It's white! It's white! That's what Whitey do! He break your back! At their birthday party, I gave him vanilla ice cream with glass in it. <laughs> Daddy, my tongue's bleeding. Shoulda got chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I go hard. I, I got girls and I go hard. So if you got a black son, shit, you gotta just punch him in the face. <laughs> so as soon as he wakes up in the morning, it's like, morning, nigga, pow! <laughs> so if you don't punch your black son in the face, that's child abuse. <laughs> it's rough out there for a black boy. Well, it's rough. That's right, some people say young black men are an endangered species, but that's not true, because endangered species are protected by the government. That's right, you got to punch your black son in the face. You understand me? Hard. Yeah, I said it. On Netflix, I said that. Do you understand it's important that your black son follow your instructions? It's the difference between life and death, okay? Okay? Yeah, yeah, because we got a crazy justice system out here, man. So we got a justice system for rich, for poor, for black, for white. We live in a country where two people can do the exact same crime in the exact same place at the exact same time and get a different sentence, only in America. Yo, we, we gotta change this justice system. Yo, the American justice system should be like Walmart. Should be just like Walmart. Say, like, hey, if you can find a lighter sentence, we'll match it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm at the school, I'm at the school, and the lady comes back out. She goes, I want you to know that the school has absolutely no bullies. We have a no bully policy. 
We don't, we don't, we don't permit bullying. Any bullies will be kicked out of school immediately. And right then, I wanted to take my daughter out to school. I was like, what kind of half-assed education is this? I mean, school is supposed to prepare you for life. Life has assholes. And you should learn how to deal with them as soon as possible. Yeah, God forbid you wait till you're 30 to find out people ain't shit. That's a lesson you need, quick! <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, one of the problems with the world is we got too many people telling their kids how special they are. These souped-up kids walking the streets today thinking they're special. I'm walking down the street and there's always some kid, hey, good work, Chris. Really funny, Chris. Love your work. I'm like, it's Mr. Rock, bitch. <laughs> Stop telling your kids that they special. Maybe they special to you, but not to me. I don't play that shit. Every day before my kids leave for school, I get them at the door, I'm like, Lola's R, check this out. Soon as you leave this door, nobody gives up about you. <laughs> nobody in the whole world gives up about you. Nobody thinks you're cute, nobody thinks you're smart, nobody gives up about your opinion. Nobody on the whole earth outside of this door gives up about you. Nobody. And even some of the people inside the house a little on the fence. We need bullies. How are you gonna have a school with no bullies? Bullies do half the work. That's right. Teachers do one half, bullies do the whole other half. And that's the half you're gonna use as a grown-up. That's right, who gives up if you can code? If you start crying because your boss didn't say hi. <laughs> Weak bitch, get away from me. You think kids were nice to Bill Gates? In high school? Hey, Gates, you Charlie Brown looking mother four eyed bitch. You and your windows, you gate tooth mother. I'm gonna smack the shit out of your gate mother. You can't get in the gate, Gates. You think kids were nice to Mark Zuckerberg in high school? Hey, Zucker mother, Zucker mother, Zuck, Zucker mother, Zuck, suck my nuts or Zucker mother, Zucker mother, Zuck, Zucker mother, Zucker mother, mother, Zucker. So he invented Facebook after somebody smacked him in the face with a book. He invented Facebook just to get friends. We need bullies. Pressure makes diamonds. Not hugs. So I hug a piece of coal and watch what you get. You get a dirty shirt. I'm telling you, we need bullies. That's why there's so many fat kids in school right now. Because there's nobody to take their lunch money. 
You know what they buy with all that money? Seconds. <laughs> we need bullies, man. And some, I hate when people go, well, you know what? Cyberbullying's worse. Shut up. <laughs> I never heard of anybody getting cyber kicked down a flight of stairs. I never heard of anybody getting a cyber bag of piss thrown at them. <laughs> we need bullies. That's how Trump became president. That's exactly what happened. We got rid of bullies. A real bully showed up, and nobody knew how to handle it. This is Magic Wonder, back from the Genie's Lounge. It seems Ira has another jaw jack. This time he's beating his gums about parenting. It's that thing that none of us know how to do. If we did, public spaces wouldn't be such a zoo. I'd like to begin this tongue-in-cheek jaw-jack as an open letter to all you MFs out there in radio land. Before you go off on me, let me make it clear, I'm not talking about the MFs you're thinking about. I'm talking about mothers and fathers. This is an open letter to those MFs, mothers and fathers is what I mean when I say MF. But all you other MFs can listen if you want to. It isn't apparent just from listening to my voice that I am not a parent. But in the interest of full disclosure, I'm not a parent. Apparently because I don't have any children that I know of. I didn't plan on not being a parent the same way that some people didn't plan on becoming a parent. Some of us were just out to have a good time on Saturday night and ended up with a souvenir, a walking, talking side effect of that good time on Saturday night that has to be clothed, fed, bail posted for, or sent to college. It happens. If we would only name our children after the circumstances of their birth, they'd have a good indication of how they came into this world, and then maybe we'd all have constant reminders of the life-altering consequences about a weekend of drugs, alcohol, and the butt-naked horizontal mambo can bring on. I can see it now. A mother calling her brood to dinner might yell, Hey, oops! BC for broken condom, Vaz for a botched vasectomy, Ruthie, wrong hole, the kinky night that went bad, dinner's ready. If you're a parent of children, young or adult, then you have officially joined the human species as a progenitor of humankind. And notice how I'm careful to say humankind and not use the sexist term mankind because there's women here too and thank god i also refer to the human species and not the incorrect human race 
What's the difference, you ask? Well, if there's a race war, what side would the human race be on? You get my drift? The concept of race is artificial. It's like saying that the color purple, the color, not the movie, is a different race from the color yellow. All the colors of the rainbow are part of one spectrum, vibrating on different frequencies of the same spectrum. Colors are different slices of the same pie. Some of you might argue. I don't know nothing about no color spectrum, and race is real. There's white people, and then there's colored people. <laughs> or people of color, and that's that. <clears throat> well, modern science says that white is the combination of all the colors in the spectrum and that black is the absence of color. So, from a scientific standpoint, who is the true colored person in the room? So race is fake. Fake news, baby, yeah. I also don't mispronounce the word zoology as zoology. That's a tricky one. Since there's only three O's in the word and not four, type it in your browser. Check it out on one of those how to pronounce websites. Trust me on that one. But now I'm off subject on a pedantic sidebar. Sorry about that. Back to the focus. UMFs out there. Mothers and fathers, for you who've just tuned in, I'm not calling people MFs of the kind you're thinking about. I'm calling mothers and fathers MFs as an abbreviation. Just for giggles. Anyway, UMFs out there. Mothers and fathers and keepers of the species. Your DNA walks among us. You have contributed to the madness that is humankind. How do you feel about that? How does a parent feel? When a crush of news reporters descends on them at their home with cameras and microphones asking why their offspring murdered an entire school of people with guns that were lying around the house. Why doesn't the media crush on people whose children have done something wonderful for humankind? Is it because it's rare that people's children really make a difference? Maybe most of us are just taking up space and using up resources. That's probably closer to the truth than we want to think about. Hey, but sex feels good, so here we all are. Your children are the people that you pin all of your hopes on to be spectacular human beings. Wow, that's a lofty goal. I guess you have these hopes because in spite of your personal failings in life, and we all have some of those, you believe and hope against all odds that your special little DNA cocktail is going to hit the lottery of life. Some of you get lucky but a huge percentage of us could wind up with an atavism of a long-lost relative, a family miscreant whose mere mention makes everyone cringe at family reunions. Some of you come home every day to a smelly sweat hog, lying on your sofa, eating you out of house and home while twiddling their thumbs working up a high score on the latest video game. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you've got the volume too loud on that video game. 
I'm going to guess that the failure rate is staggering. No one thinks of a little baby as an asshole. Even if that's what the future has in store for it, time will tell. Next time you meet a little baby, a new little baby, try to imagine them as an adult asshole and see if it fits. There should be some seepage or some indicators there, however subtle. Every person that you dislike today, or every jerk you encounter in life, or cannot stand, or wish a hideous and violent death of being eaten alive by a horde of radioactive blood-sucking vampire cockroaches, was once a little bitty baby. They once cooed and gurgled while suckling at their mother's breast. Or at least at the nearest available breast, since some mothers themselves are big-time assholes who dump their motherhood responsibilities on the closest pair of tits in the family with empathy and some stability. Why do people have kids in the first place? I think some people do it just to see what they'll look like, and then immediately lose interest. You know, they collect things. Lacking any emotional involvement, they toss the kid on the pile of neglect along with the puppy they bought last year, but now stays chained up in the yard circled by dog poop. Or the exercise equipment they bought after those New Year's resolutions a hundred pounds ago. Right off the bat, children are expensive as hell, financially and emotionally. If you looked up the word children in the dictionary of life, it would be children, an expensive bundle of human need lasting 18 years and beyond. You've heard the recent news story about that 39-something-year-old man who sued his parents because they were throwing him out of the house. All he could talk about in court were his needs. 18 years is a long time to be on the hook for these people and their expense account. I think the current 2018 cost of raising a crumb snatcher is in excess of 80 grand a year. If you're even trying to do it right. The cost can go a lot higher if you don't have a handle on your child's behavior. In the news last week on TV and the internet was a video clip of a little boy who was loose in an art gallery. I've seen this before. Loose in an art gallery. Priceless works of art. The little kid's parents are somewhere scratching their butt. Kid's loose. How does this happen? His parents were those hands-off types that couldn't be bothered. This kid topples a sculpture of glass that took the artist three years to complete. He destroyed the thing, and it fell on top of him to boot. His parents were sent a bill of about $160,000 for the cost of the sculpture. You know what they said, right? We can't afford to pay that amount don't know how this is all going to shake out, but they're likely going to have a lien on their asses for a long time to come. Adios to that good credit rating. Bye-bye to the little boogers college fund. Can you say go fund me? Very few people can afford children, yet here we all are. How is this possible? Is everybody living above their means? I mean, you don't own a horse. Maybe you do, but most of us don't own a horse or a private jet because they're too damned expensive. But you have children. Some of you have enough to form a singing group or a football team. I can see why Joe Jackson kept his foot in his kids' asses. 
they had to pay off big time. Michael had to sing for his supper. Who cared where his childhood went? Bacon and eggs ain't free. ABC. Most parents trying to raise their kids with inadequate funds, and that's all but a small few, treat their hungry brood like livestock. They slap the hogs with the cheapest grub and the fastest drive through The happy munchkins gobble up this sludge while wearing the hand-me-down rags that slap them in the ass as they roam the neighborhood, burping up murder burger fumes and burrito gas, and looking for things to profit on, like maybe your property. I once chased some teenagers away who were trying to break my windows out so that they could rummage through my car to see if they could find something that they could turn a profit on. They looked puzzled when I threatened them and told them to get the hell away from my car or all the other cars in the parking lot. It's so Dickensian. But that's the majority of the world's children. Right off the bat, kids are needy. They don't know anything about the world other than what they see on TV and in the movies while they're growing up. They don't know anything but the dumb stuff that they see on the internet, so they need to be educated. Education is expensive, time-consuming, but ignorance costs a lot more. The deadbeat dad will let his children go for broke, like those tiny sea turtles trying to make it to the ocean. A lot of them don't make it. Deadbeat dads are deadbeats because they have no qualms about having unprotected sex with women they don't give a damn about. Like their father before them, whom they haven't met, likely, they treat women like vending machines. You stick it in the slot and out comes an orgasm. Nobody hangs around a vending machine after they get what they want from it. They've objectified the woman, they have a sperm sample to give and she can do whatever the hell she wants to do with it after his pants are back on and he's out the door. It's no skin off his dick since he's got nothing to lose. It's the big shots like Harvey Weinstein and Bill Cosby or Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer who get held accountable for objectifying women. If you've got money, your balls are going to be held to the fire. They might even be tossed in the fire. But deadbeat dads get to be repeat offenders, and the results of their philandering has all their nut stains dripping through the community, dragging it down in a spiral of poverty. But don't nothing matter when you're getting that nut. Who cares if kids are the side effect? Not drippy dick daddy deadbeat, he don't care. His manhood is tied up in how many walking talking nut stains he can leave in his ejaculatory wake. His needs are met, so who cares what the ripples are? I had one old dude who was in his 60s in an elevator once tell me that it was my fault that I didn't have any kids because he was bragging about the latest pregnancy that he was responsible for. Yeah, he was that kind of guy. His kids need things. They need clothes, which they outgrow faster than they can eat through your groceries. They need a place to stay rent-free because they're too young to work. Because some genius passed a child labor law a century ago which put an end to getting the little bastards a dangerous factory job. Back in the good old days, you would put little Bartholomew to work in ye old sweatshop where the evil foreman, Mr. Scrutchins, 
would put the lash to them if they got lazy or out of line. So you had a free disciplinarian to keep an eye on their asses and you got their wages to boot. It was win-win. There seemed to be a purpose to having children when they paid their way. These days, there isn't a kid's economy. Everything is priced too damn high. Inflation has crushed the kiddie economy that I remember. A penny buys nothing. A nickel, dime, a quarter is nearly useless. All the old denominations of money that used to be the bedrock of the kiddie economy hold no value today. I was entering a grocery store once a few years ago and there was a kid standing in the doorway begging for money. A little snot-nosed urchin. The interesting thing about this situation is that as I looked at the kid, I noticed that he was standing on a pile of pennies. There had to be at least a couple dollars worth on the floor. I asked him why he didn't pick up those pennies while he was begging. He looked at me like I was nuts. I said, hey, if you pick up the pennies, I might give you some money to go with it. He ignored me. And I ignored him back. They may be pennies, but there was enough to add up to a couple of bucks. This kid had a skewed sense of value that I couldn't invest in. It seems to be a couple of generations with a skewed sense of value. When I have to deal with other people's children in public, I imagine their parents at home or at work. I wonder if they know their kids are likely out in the street, screwing up. I wonder if they angst over the phone when it rings, wondering if it's a call to come and get little Johnny because he did another boneheaded thing, and now you're going to have to deny it because it's going to cost you money. A couple of years ago, I watched a group of teenagers come down my street and vandalized parked cars at random for kicks. They would run up on top of the car and then do a full body slam on top of the roof to cave it in. They were laughing hysterically as they did thousands of dollars of damage to cars. I described it to one of my nephews. He shrugged it off and told me that the practice is called making in a coffin or something like that. It's just dumb kid stuff like eating detergent pods. I'd rather that they stuck with eating the detergent pods because that insanity doesn't cost me anything. And it's all on them. My neighbor's car still has that big dent in the roof. She still laments about it. So I'm sure she's had estimates and they're way out of her budget. One day the moron that did it will have some hard-won expensive property that some other kid will come along and destroy for fun. And he won't appreciate it either because I hope he remembers the dumb destructive things he did to other people's property back in the days before his frontal lobe developed. A little over a week ago, my sister stopped by to visit. While we were chopping it up, I heard a commotion outside, so I went to see. There was a large group of other people's children of the teenage variety gathered out front. Two girls were in the center arguing about some social media postings clutching their cell phones. They nearly came to blows, except they each had their cell phones in their hands, and I guess that's the only reason no violence broke out. Why fight when you have your cell phone to think of? The all-powerful addictive mechanism of modern science, whatever that thing does to them, I don't know, melts their brains. 
These kids often gather out front from time to time and ignore their surroundings to a fault. They roughhouse and play and sit on people's cars like park benches. Speaking of parks, there's a park a short walk away with plenty of park benches. But they'd rather make a ruckus and use people's personal property as public seating. My sister has a very beautiful Lincoln Continental with a nice cream colored paint job. It's a beautiful car. These screaming teenagers were standing right in front of it. And I knew it was only a matter of a few seconds before they would begin to use it as spectator seating. And sure enough, one girl started it. She hopped her butt up on the hood. And I knew there would soon be more butts if I didn't get out there and stop it before it got started. So I went out to my sister's car and the girl ignored me. So I rapped on the hood a couple knocks so her butt could feel the vibration. She turned reluctantly to look at me, took her eyes off the kerfuffle in front of her. There was a blank stare. There's nothing going on, no connection upstairs in the mind. I motioned to her to get up. And she took a few moments to consider if she was going to grant my request. Because after all, I wasn't her mama. And not understanding that I was demanding that she get her ass off the car. I didn't speak one word to her. She finally eased her ass off the car and I got in the car and sat there. And they simply walked to the other side of the street and hopped their asses on my car. I sat there pondering how dense these kids were. They had no sense of anything but the social media dust up they were all engaged in. The two central players were locked in a verbal wrestling match. They were there were about a dozen kids and the group was growing every couple of minutes. You know, like flies on crap. Uh, a few more flies were showing up. My sister came out, got in her car. She tapped her horn at a couple of kids who were circling on bikes in front of her and wouldn't get out of the way. They got mad at her. The attitude is, you ain't my mama, so I don't gotta do nothing you say. Yeah, the world works fine that way. A few days later, other people's children were at it again. This time it was a bunch of teenage boys clowning around with some boxing gloves. When I say teenage, I mean, you know, late teens, early 20s. The only problem was they were boxing and clowning all over my car. I asked them to give me a break. I got a break all right. My radio antenna was bent. I removed it since it was coming off the car anyway. This one kid had been sitting on my car sucking his thumb. I asked him to get off. Oh, I'm sorry. Then mindlessly they go right back. Do it again. Who are these people? Where are their parents? Why should I have to suffer their crap? I didn't bust that nut. Don't get me wrong, I like kids. People have told me that I'm good with kids, and I am, if I must say so myself. I have a lot of patience with children. I like children just fine. But I like guns too, fast cars and pussy. Not necessarily in that order, but any of these things can hurt you if you don't handle them right. Remember the Menendez brothers? They were somebody's children too, right up to the point when they killed their parents. The last thing you want to do is give birth to the agent of your demise. If you're going to be a parent, it's something you should consider. While you're caring for that little bundle of joy, there's always the possibility 
that, and notice I didn't say probability, but possibility that this little son of a bitch could be the death of you someday. Parenting is one of the hardest jobs a person can take on. Many of us are not qualified for it. Realizing this, I would rather be a cat shepherd. So I would never try and tell a parent how to raise their child. But I will say this, you should raise your children so that other people can love them as much as you do. want to go. She's got to announce this segment of the show. She's where? In the genie's lounge again. <laughs> go get her. I'll be glad when Abu gets back. This is some bull. What? I'll do it. Which button do I push to start the old-time radio show? I think it's that big red one right there with all the frayed wires. This one? Yep, that's the one they push. I've seen them do it lots of times. It looks broken. That could be dangerous. Well, somebody's got to push it, and it sure as hell ain't my okay, job. Okay, I'll push it. What's the worst that could happen? From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Dr. Mayhood, I sent you a copy of Lansing's insurance examination this morning. Did you get it all right? Yes, I did, Doctor. Thank you very much. Just looked it over. And I take it everything's all right. It's an exact duplicate of the one sent to the insurance company, and that part's okay. But it doesn't straighten out matters on this case. I'm not concerned with your case particularly. I just hope you're through bothering me, Mr. Dollar. Not quite. Well, what does that mean? I want another hour of your time, Doctor. I want you to go over to the coroner's office with me and look at Mr. Lansing's body. What for? To identify it. I've got to know if he's the man you examined or not. About an hour? Doctor, I can get an injunction. All right. <laughs> Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Tucson, Arizona, to the Universal Adjustment Bureau Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is a further accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Lansing fraud. Or was it a fraud? Expense account item three, $10, loan, to Jim Carter, who was working with me on the case. Thanks, buddy. I'll pay it back as soon as I can cash a check. Been so busy, I haven't had time. How's your doctor friend? Well, I'm going to pick him up pretty soon and go over to the coroner's office. I want him to look at James Lansing and see if he's the same man he passed on the insurance examination two years ago. Either we insured the wrong man or Dr. Mayhood examined the wrong man. I don't know which. How have you done so far? Well, besides what I told you yesterday about Dr. Mayhood? Yeah. Well, he's in healthy financial shape. Not good or bad, but, you know, healthy. His house halfway paid for. He owns one car outright and has eight months to go on another one. All of which doesn't mean anything if he phonied up an insurance examination. Yeah, that's true, kiddo. That's true. You know, I've been thinking. 
This would have worked, but James Lansing died on the street and the city performed an autopsy. Death, malnutrition. For a private physician, without an autopsy hanging over him, it could have been heart failure or most anything. Jim, I think we can do whatever we want around here. Step on anybody's toes, make any kind of noise we like. With this kind of situation to investigate, we don't have to be careful. Easy, Johnny. Lansing's body's in the morgue. There's no doubt that it's him, Exhibit A. But we aren't sure that his $50,000 policy was issued legitimately. What are you getting to? Call the state insurance commission, Jim. Let them know we think this is a bad one from top to bottom. Let them know that so that when the beneficiary starts to complain, they can tell her. It might scare her and whoever helped her into being more ridiculous than they've been already. I'm going to hold off, Johnny. Why? Until I see how you and Dr. Mayhood make out at the morgue. Expense account item four, $2, cab fare. From my hotel to the Valley National Building. I picked up a scowling Dr. Mayhood, and we drove over to the coroner's office. Mr. Dollar, this is a waste of your time and mine. Sorry to inconvenience you, Doctor, but it's necessary. I suppose so. And I suppose you have a job to do. But I have a job, too. Mr. Franks, the insurance broker, telephones me and says he's sending over a man for a physical. I do the physical. It's immaterial to me whether the man I examine is qualified for insurance or not. My job is to examine him. It's up to the insurance company to determine... Yeah? Johnny Dollar. This is Dr. Mayhood. I believe Sergeant Younger phoned. Yeah, yeah, this one. Dollar, it's up to the insurance company to do what they want to about the examination. I understand all that, Doctor. Then don't ignore it with your high-pressure tactics. Because examination is the only part I have to do with this business. I examined a man named James Lansing two years ago. You have a copy of my findings on that examination. I stand on them. And don't forget it. I don't forget for one minute. Nor do I forget that what you found and what an autopsy surgeon found are completely different opinions on Lansing's physical condition. There we go, boys. There's the body. Pull the sheet back, please. Yeah. Well, Doctor? I called my lawyer after you called me today. I won't be intimidated, Mr. Dollar. You aren't being intimidated, Doctor. You're being asked to cooperate. Then maybe I don't like the way you ask for cooperation. My attorney will be in my office to represent me if you bother me any more about this. You want to look at this body? Your attorney can't refute what's already been established, Doctor. You pronounced James Lansing in good physical condition two years ago. An autopsy report shows that when he died two days ago, he was in very bad physical condition. So bad that two years ago, he couldn't possibly have gone through a careful examination in your office without some of the symptoms being detected by you. Where is your medical degree and what responsibility? Oh, why don't you shut up and take a look and tell me if you've ever seen this man before? I won't be spoken to that way. Just a minute. I'll get an injunction and I'll charge malpractice and negligence if I have to. Oh? On what grounds? You're being stupid, doctor. All you have to do is look at that corpse and tell me if he's the man you examined in your office two years ago. Well, I don't know whether I've seen this man before or not. Well, does he look familiar in any way? I can't say. I might have examined this man. I don't know. This is James Lansing, Doctor. The name you filled in on your physical examination for the insurance. I know that. Is this the man you examined? I don't know. I honestly don't know. It was two years ago. If I see a man for three hours in the course of a physical examination, am I expected to remember his face or any details about him two years later? Is there any way you can determine whether or not this is the man you examine in your office? No. Not that I know of. Is there any way you can determine it? Believe me, Doctor, I can try. (laughs) 
And I did try. That afternoon, over the protest of Dr. Mayhood, I took all of the personnel connected with his office down to the morgue. A nurse, a receptionist, the x-ray technician, and a laboratory worker. None of them recognized the body of James Lanson. Expense account item five, ten cents, one phone call to Jim Carter, who'd spent the day preparing the necessary forms for the insurance commission and gathering data on Lansing's beneficiary. You think Dr. Mayhood was in on it? He's too mad, too belligerent, Jim. You don't sound too sure. Well, and maybe he just strikes me as an inept doctor. Well, let's say Mayhood's way down on my list. He examined a man who said he was James Lansing. It could have been anybody. All right, we'll let it go that way for a while. Any ideas? I'm on my way out to Lansing's old address. He had an apartment on the other side of town. I want to see how he's lived out there. Still want me to go ahead with the insurance commission? Yeah, go ahead. The manager at James Lansing's apartment house happened to be a woman named Anita Regan. She also happened to be willing to go back down to the coroner's office with me and view the mortal remains. seen this man before, Mrs. Regan? Yes, yes, sir. That's, that's Mr. Lansing, apartment 34. You're positive? Oh, yes. I've seen him every day for almost two years. Okay. Want to smoke? I want to get out of here. Oh, sure. I don't know why I'm acting this way. He doesn't look any different now than he's looked before. I've seen him stretched out like that a hundred times. What? I mean, almost like that. Out, stony. Only I guess it's because I knew he was just drunk then, not dead. Oh, I see. He was crazy carrying on the way he did. Oh, feels good to be out in the sunlight again. Yeah. I'll take that smoke now, Mr. Fowler. Oh, sure. Thank you. Well, Mr. Lansing used to get up around 10 every morning. He'd look awful, but he was always kind of nice, polite, you know. He'd be regular as clockwork. He'd walk past my door and tip his hat and go right down to the store and come back in a little while with a sack of groceries, a bottle of milk for his cat, and some donuts for himself, and some booze. Uh-huh. And then he'd just lock himself up in his apartment and stay there all day, drinking. Real alcoholic, huh? Well, I'd say so. At least I wasn't surprised he starved to death. He can't live on whiskey. He was fried to the ears by noon every day, as long as I knew him. Mr. Lansing didn't work then. Well, I think he tried to sell real estate once, a long time ago. Oh? But how could he? I understand he was a retired engineer or something like that. He pays rent? Oh, yes. Always seemed to have enough money to get along. Did he have any family, Mrs. Regan? Well, I know he's got a sister living in town somewhere. What about his friends? He seemed to do all his drinking alone. Say, you're from the insurance company. You should know about his family. Apparently, there are a lot of things we don't know. Hmm? A man named James Lansing moved into your apartment house two years ago. He didn't work, but he had enough money for his rent and his liquor. He also had enough money to buy some expensive insurance. Very expensive. Somehow, he passed an insurance examination, and then he suddenly died. No one, nothing. Just one beneficiary. Mr. Dollar, you don't suppose somebody just gave him enough money to get along so he'd drink himself to death, do you? That's one way of looking at it, Mrs. Regan. Oh, that poor man. That poor, poor man.
I spent another hour with Mrs. Regan, gathering as much background as I could about the last two years of James Lansing's life. I also spoke to the janitor of the building and two of the tenants. They all verified the fact that Lansing had been drinking heavily for better than 18 months prior to his death. No one seemed to know why. Jim Carter had an answer. I talked to our man in L.A., Johnny. Lansing lived there before he came to Tucson. He had several arrests for drunkenness, never married. One time he made his living as an engineer. Finally, he got fired for drinking on the job. Yeah, just one of those chronic cases. First arrest was back in 1939. How's the beneficiary holding up? The sister? Yeah. Well, Mrs. Kennedy was pretty upset when the insurance commission notified her we were in town making an investigation, indignant, put out, things like that. She wanted to know how long it would take. This all comes secondhand from the insurance commission. Uh, Johnny, hmm? a broker named Hillary Franks sold the policy. What have you got on him? Hillary Franks has represented worldwide insurance in this area for 17 years. Uh, you're stalling, kiddo. Sure, I'm stalling, Jim. Because we're right down to the meat of it now, and it makes me sick. There's only one person who stood to benefit by having James Lansing insured. That's the beneficiary, his sister, Arlene Kennedy. So? Jim, you know as well as I do, somebody else had to take the physical examination in Dr. Mayhood's office. Someone had to help her arrange that. Someone had to help her get Lansing's signature on the policies. She couldn't have pulled it off by herself without gumming it up. She had to have expert help. Hillary Franks. Yeah. Hillary Franks. 17 years broker. Worldwide insurance company. Okay. The salesman's the first one to come under suspicion in a case like this outside of the beneficiary. So let's get on with it. All right, Jim. Uh, one thing. What? Hillary Franks knows we'll be looking at him, and he knows he's under suspicion. That worry you? A little bit. After 17 years in the business, he should also know where we're going to be before we get there. If he did something as dumb as try to work a $50,000 fraud on his own insurance company, he might do something even dumber. If so... Well, what's the 38, Jim? Here. From now on, Johnny, you better carry this. There'll be another intriguing episode of the Lansing Fraud tomorrow. Tomorrow? Well, tomorrow there's a bit of excitement when a pair of thieves start a falling out. Matter of fact, a lot of excitement. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure and join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. It's getting close to time to uh, be off soon. I always become a little bit nervous near... Uh, Finish time. You know? So much danger in going home at night. When you're going down dark streets half smashed. Whew. I had an experience about a month ago. I'm on the way home from work. I'm going down a dark street. No lights on the street. That's why it was dark. <laughs> There's an alley leading into the street. No lights in the alley either. 
If there aren't any lights in the street, they're not gonna put lights in the alley. <laughs> Shouldn't have to explain that. I said the street was dark. As I'm passing the alley, I heard a sound like, I say to myself, there's a snake there. <laughs> I look and there's two bandits hiding in the alley. One of them has a baseball bat. The guy that has the bat says, stick him up. Let me show you how fast my mind works. The moment he said that, a voice in the back of my mind says, this guy's gonna rob you. <laughs> right away, I know he's an amateur because professional bandits use guns. Professional bandit carries a gun. That way, if he's robbing someone and the police comes, he can put the gun in his pocket and run. How the hell are you gonna run with a bat in your pocket? <laughs> so I say to myself, I'll talk him out of this. He know what the hell he's doing. All I have to do is drop a short, heavy story on him. He gotta go for it. I gotta come on strong, I know this. So I say to the guy, I say, do you know who I am? He said, damn right, you're the fellow who's gonna get hit with a bat and robbed. <laughs> I say, I say, I better change my approach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, this guy know what he's doing. Uh, he done done this before. So I say, now, fella, I'm not gonna stand here and let you hit me with a bat. He said, don't get upset. He said, don't get upset because you're being robbed. He said, everybody gets robbed. He said, it's your turn. He said, some people get robbed with a car note. Some people get robbed with a house mortgage. You're getting robbed with a bat. He said, don't try to get away from it. He said, take a moment to consider that if you try to make any evasive tactic like ducking, the great psychological pressure you'll be putting yourself under if you make me miss the first time. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's right, too. He said, this ain't one of them dumbass bandits. <laughs> so I said, now look, fella. He said, the cops will get you because I got a very good memory and I'll give the police a complete description and they'll get you and your buddy. He said, if you got anything you want to tell the police, you better write it down before I hit you with the bat. <laughs> That's when I started to cry. <laughs> and the guy said, get up. He said, I'll speak to my buddy and see if he wants to give you a break. And he goes over, he talks with his partner, he comes back, he says, look, my buddy and I have discussed it and we decided we're not gonna rob you. But we're still gonna hit you with the bat. Oh dear, what the hell happened while I was away in the genie's lounge? The studio is a shambles. I've got to fix everything before Abu returns and finds out that everybody died on my watch. I could lose my genie license for this.